It's Monday the 11th of July 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this past week, why it happened and why we should care. It's my pleasure to be joined today by a returning guest. It's, yes, our favourite cognitive semiotician, Jesper Christensen. Welcome to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, the Agriculture, Food and Fisheries Minister is set to impose new rules on whalers aimed at ensuring the same animal welfare laws are adhered to at sea as in the abattoir. Opponents fear the new red tape might make whaling an even less viable business in the future, while supporters hope exactly the same thing. This week we learned that a pair of children's mittens discovered 60 years ago are in fact over a thousand years old and probably came to Iceland with one of the first settlers. We learned that Iceland has received its second Michelin star as the transformation from gelatinous gloop to gourmet grub continues. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the women's Euro 2022 tournament is underway and Iceland are expected to do relatively well, though the draw against Belgium yesterday came as a slight disappointment. Össur is engaged in a 60 million kroner project to bring advanced prosthetics to people in Ukraine who have lost limbs in the war. Vitaly Lazareva returned to Iceland briefly last week to give a statement to West Iceland police, thereby ending the misunderstanding that led to her not launching formal complaints against the three men back in March, she says. And finally, the first all-electric aeroplane in Iceland took to the skies at Hetla Air Show even though the terrible weather cancelled most other advertised events, as Iceland continues to entirely miss the heatwave in mainland Europe this year. <laughs> so, where would you like to begin? Ooh, um, oh, I don't know. Um, uh, I was not... Uh, I had seen the, the headline of the uh, Iceland sending prosthetics to the Ukraine, mm. and, like, um, all I have on that is, like, that's so great. That's marvelous. Um, I studied occupational therapy for a year, and uh, prosthetics are a big deal, and like they are very difficult to get used to, and they're like it's extremely traumatizing mm. to to have a limb, a lose a limb. Um, so it's great that we can help. And uh, I was not aware that uh, Iceland was a major manufacturer of of prosthetics or. or like that, that was a, although no, I think I actually had heard of like a little bit uh, that that we had some some of that stuff going on up here. It's just a field that I find like it's it's interesting, but it's not something I know incredibly much about. It's just yeah, it's very interesting to me. Yeah, same. Um, I I know relatively little about the industry as well. Um, I'm not sure about Iceland being a major mm. producer of prosthetics, yeah. but an advanced one. Sort of an innovative one. I think Ursa uh, was the company that invented the the, the blade for athletes and, yeah, and that sort yeah. of thing. Um. And so they're sort of really cutting edge there. Half of the money is they're putting in, in the terms of uh, equipment and time and things. And then the other half is coming from the Global Goals Fund, mm -hmm. which is to do with the UN Global Goals. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a very positive thing, I think. The only downside to it, of course, is that they say so far they've contracted to work with just 20 individuals and there are hundreds of people that could could yeah. do with this. Yeah, it takes time. Um I also think it, it's, um, it's, how do you say it? You have to have a healed, uh, a healed piece. Mm. Uh, so it does also take time for it. Like you can be neat. So like maybe this, the 20, 20 people scattering is not, is like very early. And then there are more people who need it, but who are not ready yet. Like that's could be something that, that would happen, but it could also just be that everybody's ready. And it is just terrible that they can't all get help, but mm. 
And prosthetics it, also just so expensive. Like it is so expensive. Yeah. So it's very good that it can offset some of the costs. And, and it's a very long term thing as well. Um, the uh, the the head of the company said in the article um, that yeah we're we're going to be sending all this stuff over to Ukraine and that's great, hmm. but it's really short term. What we need is to have staff trained and ongoing, perhaps potentially even sort of lifelong care and and, and training yeah. on this. Yeah, um, because they've come so far. It's not like a hundred years ago when it was you know very very obvious now there are people with prosthetics that you, you can't really tell and mm -hmm. they live a full life as long as it's maintained and, and they know precisely what to do with it it does require maintenance they are big chafing things these mm. prosthetics some of them like that that just happens that's just part of it and that obviously is is no fun but like it's manageable and and but it needs yeah it needs care so um yeah hopefully that that can be taken care of as well but mm. go to good on iceland yeah, and, and good on Ursur as well. Brief, yeah. Maybe just briefly, it wasn't in the introduction, but there was uh, Yale University have published a list of the companies around the world, I think just under 2,000 companies under the world, ranking them on how effective they've been in changing their relationship with Russia since mm. the war started. And four Icelandic companies on their list got an F grade for allegedly not having changed at all. Mm. But those companies have come back and said, this isn't true. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, there's always two sides to a story. Like one of the companies that, according to this study, had not changed its trading relationship with Russia at all, has actually not sent a single item to Russia since the war started. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway, that was perhaps a bit of an aside. Did you read that story? I did not see it, no. 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 Well, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't read it in too much detail, so let's move on there. Um, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't anything else Ukraine-related in our news today um what else stood out to you um i like the mittens i do like the mittens i think the mittens are fun have you seen the mittens because i saw the picture cute. of the mittens yeah i haven't seen them uh i like that that uh, the article mentioned that she made a test pair like she was like okay well i can reconstruct this with like i think it was like a homespun wool cloth because they're not knit i believe they are it they looks are, cloth doesn't it yeah, yeah it is a, it is a cloth uh and she said in the article that it was a cast off um like possibly a cast off from a, a larger piece mm. so they're a little bit higgledy piggledy um which we're not going to shame <laughs> shame fastener old uh, uh manufacturers for uh but it is just um yeah it's interesting what we can see from this piece and and i think it's very very fun that she made a, a reconstructed pair um and that they have the like she pointed out they have a string in them so you don't lose them like like you would see with modern technology <laughs> like you would see today it is it's, it's an ever it's an ever occurring problem <laughs> it's so cute to know that viking kids had the same sort of mittens as we did yeah isn't it that's right that's very darling uh i do i did find it a little there is a tendency to uh tell tales in um even even by professional archaeologists and professional historians it's very tempting to make that jump like like yeah it probably it might have come over on a ship and it might have and it might very well have uh but it's like a little unfounded but it's it's fine that people say it i guess but it's it, it just stood out to me a little bit that we we do have this tendency to like to tell the story of the piece and it's like we don't know the story of the piece like from what it is we can't tell whether it's it uh, it came over on a ship or not and it's maybe not relevant and we can certainly imagine and, and we're free to do so but i mean part of me thinks maybe it would be 
more remarkable if it hadn't come across on a ship and yeah. had been made here by some of the first settlers. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's just as interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. It would be, I mean, it would be amazing forensics if we could be like, this is not from... This is not from Icelandic sheep, but like obviously Icelandic sheep back that then were were, were, mm. were identical to Norwegian sheep because they were a Norwegian sheep. Um, yeah, it's but it's it's a very interesting story. It just yeah, it's interesting on several levels because this man, a farmer um, in in West Iceland, was digging foundations for his new house. He got down to two meters. This is in 1960, and found these mittens, mm-hmm. and he was. Given the depth and, and, and what they looked like, he thought maybe they were from the settlement era. Yeah. Um, but there was no way of proving it. So the National Museum has had it ever since, had them ever since, and they're interesting and everything. But mm-hmm. then it was only this year they did carbon dating on them. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. And textiles don't usually survive very well in Icelandic soil. Mm. So that's even more remarkable that these were whole garments and not just a little fragment, which is which we're much more u- used to seeing. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's very lucky. Yeah, they're, they. I mean, they were beautifully intact from what I could see from the picture. Like, yeah. um, they look very good. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's the second archaeology story that we've had in the past two or three weeks. Um, the other one was about Sturlvafjörður in East Iceland and. Um, these settlement no no sorry these these structures there that were from before the settlement oh okay um, yeah possibly to get oils seal or whale oil and take it back to scandinavia rather than permanent mm-hmm. settlers um and that was really interesting as well yeah that we sort of have proof of what we suspected before that people were coming here before people mm-hmm. lived here yeah um it is it is interesting to me like i you know, my day job is in is in the tourist industry, and it is interesting that people talk about the Viking Age, and we talk about like we talk about Vikings as this ancient thing. When and it is old, like a thousand years is a long time, but the Roman Empire was two thousand years. Ago. Like, and we sort of think of them in the same terms of of ancientness, mm. um, but they were not. You know. There was a Roman Empire uh, uh, a thousand years ago, but it was very different than what we normally think of as like Rome stuff. Like, um, but it's just this this weird um, this weird equality between like ancient things, and it's like the Vikings were pretty recent. Like, there were good reasons to come up here, and and uh, there was good reasons to settling, obviously. But like, it was also just a, like people could get to here. It was it. It's a long trip, but it's not an impossible trip. Like boats were pretty advanced. Like this is the same time as like as like so many other things that have been explored. Like Middle Ages. It's Middle Aged. Um, um, it could be to do with origin stories. People view a certain point as as the start, and therefore it has the same value as. Yeah, as that's others. actually a good point. That people are like this was settled at one point, so therefore that happened in ancient times. It's like it it didn't really like it happened a long time, ago. but um, but of course, like none of this devalues like the early settlement history and like how difficult it is to find evidence uh, and find like um, these amazing finds that we do find of, of middle age. Uh, uh, Middle Ages. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, even most settlements. farmhouses and things from 300 years ago just completely disappeared, mm-hmm. returned back to the land. So, yeah, finding all sorts of things from that far ago is is, is yeah, it's fascinating. It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, next topic. Yep. Where were we going to next? There's obviously the ongoing uh, controversy around whaling. Um, yeah. Yeah, that one just want... makes me sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, we spoke. We spoke about this on the show before, so I don't. When when it started again for the first time in in four summers, mm. um, so maybe not cover that directly, but the news that the fisheries minister is is imposing stricter rules on the whalers, um, mm. and she says that she's going as far as she can without needing to change the law, without needing to go to parliament. Mm. In other words, flexing her muscles as much as she can do. Yeah. Um, and the rule change is that. A member of the crew has to be trained as an animal welfare representative. That's this summer, mm-hmm. and that the whole hunting procedure has to be filmed yeah. and submitted to monitoring vets um, for for monitoring. Yeah, it's it's a start, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, if the the end product is no whaling at all, then maybe it's a start. But like, I can. I don't like whaling. I don't like that whaling happens, but I also have a hard time seeing any any slaughter of animals, any hunting of animals as ethical. And I'm not. I'm not even weakened. Like I am a part of the problem, but um, I I am aware of the suffering that exists at our hands, and uh, and it just sucks and at the same time i can appreciate like cultural values i can appreciate um that these things have a tradition and uh our market and like i i'm not i'm a little centrist on it i i do think that there, i do think that this should happen i do think that there should be as much consideration for the wealth for the welfare of the being as possible i also think that banning it completely and not have not doing it at all is also absolutely a thing that that we could do and and could make a choice about doing because this comes down to a choice. Like that's, that's what ethics are Mm. is we can make a choice that, that makes us better. Um, And we're choosing not to do it. And we're choosing not to do it for complicated reasons and and reasons that are very um, many ways understandable and, and, and have other things tied to them. But we're also, we could also make different like it's it's just not it's just not simple and it also just sucks like it it just made me sad reading this article um because it reminded me that railing exists like mm. um, and you say that we are doing it um but really it's, it's one company and oh okay next to next to uh, close to 100% of the fin whale meat is exported to Japan mm. um so that brings its own questions as well. Um, yeah, I mean, from a from a uh, geopolitical standpoint, then like um, ensuring that we do it as ethically as we can could prevent places with fewer ethical concerns about whale hunting from doing it less ethically. That was a weird sentence, but I think the sentiment came across. Yeah. Like, this is something we can do. We could also choose not to participate at all and, like, let the chips fall where they may and maybe that could put pressure on Japan to no longer consume whale meat. Yeah, but these these things are, yeah, it's just very difficult. It is. Yeah. It is. And the idea of imposing the same 
laws on whaling as exist for the killing of, for example, sheep and cows mm-hmm. is... I mean, on paper at least, that is a, a very sort of a minimum, isn't it, really? Cause yeah. That, it's what we should always have been doing also. Yes. Yeah. It is. But how can you ensure it, though? Is the, the circumstances yeah. are so different. Yeah, I mean, it should certainly, certainly have the same principles as we apply to reindeer hunting, to big game hunting, um, which I also don't know if there's any sort of... But like, I know that there are certainly hunter principles mm. because we've, we talk about it as fishery, but it is a type of hunting. It is a type of... of like the same respect has to go into it as we as we can say that we reserve for hunting which is like one shot one kill end the suffering as quickly as possible don't hunt pregnant mothers and that sort of thing Mm. um which i'm sure that there are like elements of that uh already in in hunting in whale hunting but um interesting uh, the icelandic language doesn't distinguish between fishing and hunting it's the same word really Mm. which kind of makes sense yeah, I guess maybe like like maybe hunting isn't that big up here because not a lot of large game to to go for. True. Yeah. Um, anything else to add on that topic? Not really. No. Just to add that the second stage of that rule change is that from next summer, vets will need to be on board each mm-hmm. ship rather than just a representative. And of course, that last year, oh, sorry, next year is the final year of the current license and it's not clear at all if it will be renewed after that okay um, so we could see an end to whale hunting we could do i mean yeah. the, the the fisheries minister today Svandi Svavosdottir, says she's not inclined necessarily to renew the permit given mm-hmm. the damage it does to iceland's reputation and potential damage to the tourism industry among others yeah um but she has to be objective and she has to look at both sides so wait and see uh, the yeah. tourism minister meanwhile uh, Lilia Alfredsdottir has said that she doesn't think it damages tourism, which the, a lot of the tourism companies in the country have responded kind of incredulously to saying, oh, yeah, we know it does. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It is a knotty issue and it isn't uh, simple black and white. I think most people would like whales not to be hunted. Yeah. But at the same time, most people eat, meat and yeah it, it, it in some ways it isn't different and whereas the you know hunting a huge wild animal as opposed to farming intensively farming say 500 pigs or something mm-hmm. to get the same amount of meat i'm not going to make an ethics call on that myself i don't know if anyone can it's it's <laughs> like I can only like I have to go out in like galaxy brain levels of like we're human beings and sometimes we don't make the right choices. <laughs> like it's that like <laughs> because that that would be like from a like objectivist ethics perspective of like that would be the right choice. No more meat. Not nothing at all. Like live like the is it the Jane that are like take their shoes off and don't walk on grass because you might kill a, an insect. Uh, like, it's... Um, there is an extreme of this, and it's not possibly a very good extreme, but it's, uh, it's... It's it's one of those things where you can't make that argument, in a sense. Like, you can't just say, no more. No more of this. Like, we can, we can take steps towards it, and this is a step, and that's all we have. It's like gradual steps. Increasing the availability and quality of uh 
meat replacement products, that sort of thing. And that is happening. And, and that is happening. And, and more and more people are taking it up. It's true. Yeah. And and also like look at the environmental impact of those of those products and like how can they be more sustainably farmed and like everything comes down to our impact on the earth. Mm. And that is just unavoidable. And, and the percentage of people in Iceland that regularly eat whale meat is minuscule. Yeah. Frankly. Um, yeah. Maybe most we just people, shouldn't be participating. Yeah. And it's personal choice. If you want to do. Yeah. But, it's a very uh, easy this is this is in many ways a very easy choice, and the choice is to stop. Like it is incredibly simple, um, but <laughs> and I just said it was complicated, but it, because it also is. Like for, like it it depends on where your standpoint is, right? Your ethically, your ethically distance, and your your desire to to be an ethical person with no consideration for for things like culture or for things of like you. If you just see the a person as someone who can make a choice. Mm. Um, then it is easy, but we are. That's not what we are. We have other things tying us to, to things that we want and need. Okay, <laughs> from something that is pretty deep, pretty philosophical. Um, let's talk about football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wanted to talk about women's football, and if you think that can't get philosophical and deep, then <laughs> <laughs> well, true. Um, <laughs> it's a different branch. It is a different branch. Um, Euro twenty twenty two is underway. It's probably i don't know not i was going to say it's probably the biggest tournament european women's football tournament to date mm -hmm. uh, it probably is i don't want to like put my foot down and state that out outright though um iceland played the first game yesterday against belgium it ended 1-1 mm -hmm. um, which was a bit of a disappointment because iceland arguably had the better of the game and, mm. and and succeeded a penalty um but yeah wider wider aspects wider implications of of this tournament and of women's football uh, mm -hmm. are interesting and perhaps something that iceland is arguably leading the sort of popularizing and and equalizing of of women's sports yeah i've heard some rumblings it's not something i follow particularly closely i have noticed <laughs> Dear listener, <laughs> until this morning, until about 15 minutes ago, I did not know that the Euros were happening in, in women's football. Uh, but I had noticed a bus AdWords, and I was like, okay, well, something's happening. That's good. Uh, but it is good. Like, that's visibility. Um, here in Iceland, I was aware that women were playing sports um, and that we were taking it. But then also, I'm Danish, dear gentle listener. Uh, so women's handball certainly is very big in Denmark and is as I would uh, the Danes can fight me on this but it seems to be as celebrated and as like the I have grown up with like Anja Anderson like big handball stars mm. female handball player stars um, so the idea of female athletes being incredibly uh, <laughs> the only word notorious but like well known uh, in the public and having status and their spot that they're playing being taken extremely seriously uh, is not new to me but it, it has not been football mm. um, yes and of course independent or individual sports athletics tennis whatever that's been a very different story for a long time yes it's the it's these team sports that are often neglected yeah um I feel like in Iceland there's this consensus that there needs to be equality between the genders. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, the team had the same sort of send-off as the men's team from the airport. They had the same Iceland Air sponsorship. Mm -hmm. The 
downtown. There's a huge screen set up for for watching all the matches. Really? Exactly the same as for the men's uh, World Cup and Euros, and and various other things, uh, including I believe uh, bonuses like financial bonuses for 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 winning or scoring goals, etc. Hmm. Um, training opportunities, and it just seems to be sort of natural. Yeah, it's very, and it should be, of course. <laughs> it should be. It is funny how getting all this information makes me think like like it is it's like this is I'm saying this not as a bad thing it's forced equality and that's actually good but it is like no matter what the no matter how many people watch this we are sponsoring it the same way no matter how many people are going to show up in front of the big screen we're putting the big screen up because that is equality and that is absolutely right like this shouldn't actually be dependent on the the public interest, in a sense, uh, because people are going to show up and 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 they are going to be aware that they can. And they, this also tells them like we are supporting, we as a society are supporting these women, yeah. um, and that's that's massive and and wonderful. Uh, it is something I think can happen in Iceland. Again, we we often come in on this in, in this program. I think that because of Iceland's size, um, like and there are perhaps not as many. Um, companies that need to be rustled in to do sponsorships for instance mm. um as other countries and uh with their male sports teams uh so it is something that is more possible i would say in iceland which is an it, like just interesting just an interesting little fact just perhaps like something to consider when comparing to other countries mm. uh but it's amazing and it is that is that is absolutely the right thing to do like the right play um that's that's great. <laughs> I can easily imagine a situation in which a company that is prominent in supporting the men's team in mm-hmm. football and chose not to support the women's team in football. I can quite imagine that being a bit of a scandal. And yeah. People asking why, 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 why? Yeah, why exactly are you doing this? And I mean, the obvious answer is, well, they don't get the same amount of viewers. They don't. We don't see the same return on that. Um, and to that, I say, well, whatever. Like. <laughs> <laughs> also, wait and see as well, because yeah. women's sport has come from such a disadvantage in previous decades. Yeah, and it won't. And to be fair, I watched the game yesterday. It was entertaining, tr- truly entertaining. Mm-hmm. An enormous skill on show. It was it was a a true international football match by anyone's standards. Um, and that is because there has been this investment. This is because these athletes are able to be professional athletes yeah. because it's being taken seriously. And the more seriously it's taken, the better it becomes, the more su- self-sustaining it becomes. Yeah. And, and hopefully we won't even need to ask these questions in a, in a decade or two. No, no, no. Absolutely. Rant over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Anything else to add? We've probably got time for just a couple more minutes on, on something. Uh, what about the electric plane? Yeah, uh, because I mean it's a little thing. It's a two-seater light aircraft. Yeah, but it's a start. It's Iceland's first electric plane. Yeah, and it's supported by big companies. Iceland there, um, Usavia, which runs all the airports, mm-hmm. um, Landsvirken, the electric company, and others. Um, and they are doing this. They say to try and take the initiative to try and push forward the energy change, which which we are in all likelihood going to need. Um, yeah. So, yeah, small steps. Yeah. I mean, yeah, great. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm quite surprised that there wasn't electric, like small electric trains beforehand. But planes. okay, huh? Planes, planes. What you said I trains. Say? Did I say trains? <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, um, that's good. Again, um, Iceland is doing the. How would you say it? Like. <laughs> doing the the groundbreaking thing um which is perhaps a little symbolic but also like yeah a, a net positive i'm i'm certain that there's like certain types of technology have, be, have been developed in order to make this possible so that's i mean that's the the real gauge of the impact of this is mm. is there is this a prototype of something that can be generalized into something bigger right um into something more sustainable or like more user-friendly <laughs> yes yeah, i don't know it can be scaled yeah can, can it be scaled yeah right yeah i mean it's worth noting that this plane is is not it's not an icelandic plane um they exist elsewhere it's just been brought to iceland and is now registered in iceland as the first plane so I that's see. the step um but I of course see. iceland given its size as you mentioned sort of does lack a little bit of manpower when it comes to innovation loads of science goes on here mm. but you'd have to think that these technologies aren't going to be developed overseas. What Iceland does have, though, is lots of energy. Yeah. Um, and so it makes it a good proving ground for... for That's true. We have these. our part to play. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking that, like, the, the availability of sustainable energy here um, makes it very positive. And on that note, we are out of time. Okay. The Week in Iceland will be back with you next week, Monday the 18th of July on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. That just leaves me to thank my guest today, Jesper Christensen. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me. Now, um, we finished today with one of Iceland's most enduring pop songs. This 1984 hit by Grafik is called Húsið og ég, and it includes the iconic chorus line, Mér finnst rigningin gold, la 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 la. Or in English, um... I enjoy the rain, which is just as well this summer so far. There we go. Bye for now.
Yeah.